Thanks for listening to Star Lores. If you like the show, please consider subscribing and giving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also help us make more great content by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com. We would also love to hear from you on social media. You can follow Star Lores on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy the show, and may the Force be with you. You are listening to the Star Lores Podcast. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Why you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. The Usurper. Although the Battle of Endor was a crushing defeat for the Galactic Empire, the state remained a force to be reckoned with and never disappeared entirely from the galaxy. A casual understanding of the Galactic Civil War might lead one to believe that the Death Star II's destruction was the end of it, but the war waged on for an excruciating 15 years. The tide had been turned in the rebellions now the New Republic's favor, however. At the same time, the New Republic's force, forces were divided as they were drawn into wars on multiple fronts against the Nagai, the Toth, and the Empire. Seasoned veterans like Luke Skywalker, Wedge Antilles, or Winter Chelku hardly had time to let their blasters cool. In the period immediately post-Endor, a series of internal conflicts erupted throughout the Empire, sometimes culminating in all-out civil wars. It was not until these multifaceted conflicts resolved somewhat that a stable group known as the Imperial Remnant formed, gluing the remaining pieces of the broken Empire back together. One of the primary causes for the Empire's post-Endor anarchy was a lack of stable, effective leadership. From 4 to 19 ABY, a revolving cast of charismatic, ruthless, bloodthirsty, selfish, and incompetent individuals attempted to replace Emperor Palpatine as the Galactic Empire's supreme leader. Not even a revived Emperor Palpatine would prove capable of the task, however. Upon Emperor Palpatine's first death, the next highest ranking member of the Imperial Court was Sate Pestage, Grand Vizier and personal assistant to the Emperor. He had worked as an aide to Senator Palpatine before his chancellorship in the Republic and facilitated such important assassinations as that of Vidar Kim, among other uncountable, unsavory tasks. He wore robes and an elaborate hat or mantle each a regal dark purple. On the rare occasion that he was seen without his head covering, he had a completely bald scalp. In this uncovered state, his age and decrepitude were all the more apparent. Though experienced in the ruthless domain of astropolitics, 
Sate was around a hundred years old at the time of his ascension to the throne. As a species, by that age many humans are afflicted with multiple illnesses and suffer from a natural cognitive and physical decline, so perhaps this played a role in the lack of dynamism of his rule. Additionally, it is commonly reported by human statesmen that they get very little sleep during their terms of office, which is known to gravely impair cognitive ability and judgment. While Emperor Palpatine appeared to be a feeble old man, hardly moving a muscle with corpse-like flesh racked by the corrupting influence of the dark side, he was still capable of vaporizing basically any being in sight in an instant with a gesture. Moreover, many of the most powerful Imperial commanders were fully indoctrinated into Palpatine's cult of personality and were fanatically loyal to him. The sycophantic Grand Vizier Pestage was no comparison. He was an expert at appeasing and obeying tyrants, not at being one himself. Pestage had clearly absorbed some of the Empire's humanocentric political philosophy and expressed a belief that it was humanity's duty as the superior species to protect the galaxy from chaos. Without the tyrannical rule of humans over the rest of the sentience of the galaxy, the galactic community would descend into endless chaos and violence. Despite these ideals, Pestage's term of office was self-serving and did little to advance the Empire's institutional bigotry. Much of his time was spent on political maneuvers aimed at preserving his life, which were ultimately a complete failure. The Grand Vizier had long predicted that Palpatine's empire was a house of cards, waiting for a stiff breeze to knock it over, at which point he would surely be prosecuted for crimes against sentience or otherwise persecuted or killed. When he saw that members of the ruling council, as well as imperial intelligence, were positioning themselves for a coup, he arranged a trade with the New Republic. Imperial center for amnesty and a handful of worlds to govern for him and his friends. Given the strategic importance of Coruscant, the Republic grudgingly agreed to his terms. It should come as no surprise that Pestage was usurped by Director of Imperial Intelligence Isan Isard, just under a year after taking the throne. Isard's coup was arranged with the help of the Imperial Ruling Council, who were similarly unimpressed with Pestage's handling of the post-Palpatine Empire. Corazon remained under Imperial rule for another two years, despite massive civil unrest following Palpatine's death. Before receiving his reward from the Republic, Sate was executed by strangulation at the cybernetic hand of Imperial Admiral Krennel. Following Pestage's death, Isard arrested a leader of the ruling council and became de facto empress of the Galactic Empire. Like many of the Empire's tyrants, she had a distinctive fashion sense and wore a unique admiral's uniform in the shade of crimson as Palpatine's royal guards. Her appearance was further distinguished by white bangs and shoulder-length, loosely-worn brunette hair. 
Although Isard never officially received the title of Empress, she employed the services of the Royal Guard to help build the perception that she had officially taken Palpatine's throne, and most of the Empire followed her directives. Like her predecessor, though, her reign was plagued by internal conflict and plotting moths hungry for the throne. Not to mention a bitter, ongoing conflict with Wedge Antilles and his incredibly dangerous rogue squadron. In a space battle over the Imperial-controlled, backed-up-producing world of Thyfera, New Republic forces defeated Isard and believed that she was killed attempting to flee in a shuttle. Director Isard did escape the battle and continued to fight the New Republic and attempt to rebuild the Empire. But her status as de facto Empress had effectively dissolved after the battle at Thyfera. Eventually, Isard attempted to retake her captured Star Destroyer, Usankya, but was killed by a blaster bolt to the gut, courtesy of a New Republic agent. Shadows. Moff Tavira is perhaps a template for the caliber of individual who held the Moff title under Palpatine's empire and explains the lack of effective leadership in the Emperor's absence. After his first wife died, the Moff married the 16-year-old human Leonaya, and she adopted his surname Tavira. When Moff Tavira died, Leonaya simply started wearing her late husband's uniform and commanding all of the resources at his disposal. Moff Tavira, the elder subordinates, obeyed Moff Tavira the younger, more or less faithfully. Her rule was primarily focused on amassing additional leverage on the astro-political stage, as well as acquiring wealth with little or no thought given to establishing and maintaining law and order in the galaxy, as new order philosophy would dictate. Leonaya's reign over the planet Yatu 6 was unstable and brief, and was effectively ended by the legendary Rogue Squadron. At one point, she seemed to have been reduced to the role of a deckhand on a space pirate ship, though she eventually regained control of considerable military resources and was regularly involved in skirmishes against the New Republic and remnant militaries. In Palpatine's absence, no Imperial could effectively unite the disparate Imperial forces throughout the galaxy for any length of time, and so he returned to do it himself, using ancient Sith magic Palpatine's consciousness was decoupled from his body at death. He first possessed the body of an Imperial officer, a process which caused crippling mental illness in the host's body. He managed to travel to the secret fortress world of Biss despite this disability. At some point, around 10 ABY, 
Palpatine's Force consciousness then entered his chronologically 15-year-old clone body. It is unclear if the clones had independent nervous systems and thus consciousness functioning when Palpatine possessed them. Whether or not the possession of these clones would constitute murder is unclear. Among other hateful objectives, Palpatine intended to possess Anakin Solo, son of Han and Leia Solo, as a form of revenge against the Skywalker line, as well as to boost his Force abilities. Just as in his previous life, Palpatine Reborn intended to use a variety of planet-destroying superweapons to cow the galaxy into submission, and to enlist the services of a Skywalker as his prime enforcer and avatar of fear. The first superweapon he employed was the Eclipse-class Super Star Destroyer, equipped with a super laser. This weapon's destructive yield was just shy of the Death Star super laser. An Eclipse super laser could effectively destroy the surface geology of a planet, but not turn a planet into a dispersed cloud of rubble in the middle of space. Since the Battle of Endor, Palpatine had apparently mastered a truly awesome dark side power. He could now create and control force storms. These swirling clouds of brilliant blue energy created hyperspace wormholes that tore the fabric of space-time and were incredibly destructive to objects in real space. The storms could easily destroy entire space armadas and devastated planetary surfaces. Beings with mastery of force storms, such as Palpatine, are themselves a superweapon. When Palpatine and his Eclipse were destroyed attacking the New Republic's pinnacle base, a disembodied Palpatine again attempted his futile Tarkin Doctrine-inspired strategy. The Galaxy Gun was his next great attempt at defeating the Rebels. It was a massing orbital launching platform for missiles armed with particle disintegrator warheads. Each warhead was capable of destroying an entire planet, and the rockets on which they were mounted could travel and navigate through hyperspace independently. This made the entire galaxy vulnerable to Palpatine's wrath. The galaxy is fortunate that his tactics did not equal his malice. Another repeated mistake that proved disastrous was the attempted conversion of Luke Skywalker into Palpatine's Sith apprentice. Though Luke came closer to embracing the dark side this time, he ultimately betrayed Palpatine and sabotaged the reborn Emperor's punitive campaign against Mon Calamari. Perhaps the process of becoming a Force ghost and inhabiting a new body, some part of the clone's brain is damaged, permanently impairing the judgment of the reborn Emperor. His behavior during this time also became increasingly unhinged, and he was prone to emotional outbursts and fits of rage. In contrast to the cold-as-space, all-knowing Emperor Palpatine of years past. During the New Republic's attack on Biss, the intrepid astromech droid R2-D2 reprogrammed an Eclipse-class Star Destroyer to collide with the Galaxy Gun. 
causing it to fire one of its world-ending warheads at the planet below, destroying the Dark Empire's capital world and its huge stockpile war material. Palpatine Reborn was shortly killed on Onderon while attempting to possess the body of Anakin Solo. A succession of Palpatine's inept dark side adepts briefly took the throne, each meeting their demise in short order. Imperial Blood A royal guard by the name of Coronor Jax sabotaged all the Emperor's reserved clones at the end of the campaign against the New Republic. Palpatine was thus lost permanently in the chaos beyond death, the Sith conception of the afterlife. Immediately after Palpatine's second death, the once again fractured Empire's executive position was filled by an interim ruling council. In this incarnation of the Empire, Karnor Jax became a powerful leader, as his treachery against Palpatine was part of a conspiracy with the council. Jax worked with the ruling council, but intended to eventually overthrow them and take the Imperial throne. Other treacherous actions taken by Jax against Palpatine's Empire was the destruction of the Royal Guard, an organization of which he was once the leader. Sith Lady Lumia had tutored the somewhat Force-sensitive Jax, and by 11 ABY, he fancied himself the new Dark Lord of the Sith. He was eventually killed in a duel, using double-bladed swords by the non-Force-sensitive and last surviving Royal Guard, Kier Kanos. Parents of the Remnant I disdain what these puffed-up, self-appointed warlords have afflicted upon our fighting forces. These squabbling children have caused as much damage to the Empire as the Rebel Alliance has. Admiral Dalla, 12 ABY In 27 BBY, a commander of the Chiss Ascendancy named Mithra Nuruodo came to Darth Sidious's notice. Thrawn, as speakers of Basic called him, had a far-reaching vision, possibly equaling that of the incognito Dark Lord of the Sith himself, and the two came to a mutual understanding following an initial conflict. Thrawn saw existential threats to all life in the galaxy, and history would eventually confirm his morbid vision of the galaxy's future, though he was long dead by that time. It was his attempts to nullify this threat that resulted in his exile from the Ascendancy. In 19 BBY, not seeing anybody else up to the task of protecting the galaxy far, far away, Thrawn joined the newly formed Galactic Empire. In it, Thrawn saw an organization that just might be able to defend the galaxy from the far outsiders. Thrawn distinguished himself in Imperial service, and by 2 ABY received the rank of Grand Admiral. This position came with a bright white uniform with golden trim and epaulets, which contrasted vividly against his blue skin and glowing red eyes. With his new rank and considerable operational latitude, Thrawn began to focus his efforts on the unknown regions. There, he hoped to arrange the theater of an impending war to the Empire's advantage. 
the old man of the empire, Admiral Gilad Peleon, lived for nearly a century, during which time he distinguished himself as a commander to a degree that defies hyperbole, serving in the Republic, the Empire, the Remnant, and the Galactic Alliance. Admiral Natassi Dalla was perhaps the slightly more ruthless counterpart of Peleon that the Empire desperately needed to restore order following the Battle of Endor, though she would not enter the galactic stage for several years. Most importantly, they both participated in the assassination of a coalition of power-hungry moths turned warlords and assumed control of the victims' fleets, thus restoring order to the broken empire. Peleon was there when the empire's yoke over the galaxy was finally cracked, if not broken. The star destroyer he was serving on, Chimera, was damaged at the Battle of Endor. In that damage, the ship's commander was incapacitated, and so Peleon assumed control. When the Death Star was destroyed, command of the Endor fleet passed to him, and he issued the order to retreat. Imperial forces regrouped at the planet Anage, where the Admiralty convened on their strategy moving forward. Much to Peleon's chagrin, none of the moths or admirals could arrive at a consensus strategy for defeating the rebellion. As a result, the navy at Anage dispersed, and many moths and other high-ranking officers absconded with all of the ships and troops in their command pursuing their own individual objectives. The New Republic eventually attacked Inage, successfully driving Imperial forces away from the world, and once again scattering the Empire. When Grand Admiral Thrawn finally returned from the Unknown Regions, he swiftly outmaneuvered the squabbling warlords of the Empire and united it under his command assuming de facto supreme commander status. He believed that the New Republic was not a stable or militarily robust enough organization to repel the impending invasion, and so launched an aggressive invasion of formerly imperial space. Thrawn selected Chimera as his flagship during the campaign against the New Republic in 8 ABY. The Chiss Admiral took Peleon under his wing and gave the old man a masterclass in military tactics, often using analytical tools from art history in order to predict the strategies of his enemies. Despite devastating the Republic, Thrawn was assassinated by his own Nogri bodyguard, and his forces were defeated at the Battle of Bilbingri in 9 ABY. In Zero ABY, Grand Moff Tarkin promoted the Empire's newest admiral, Natassi Dalla. In the Empire's rigid hierarchy, a woman attaining such a rank was a singular occurrence indeed, especially coming from one as committed to the Empire's ideals as Tarkin. In the context of Tarkin the Man rather than the Grand Moff, this makes sense, as he and Natassi had been lovers for some time. Although it would be easy to assume that 
Dallow was undeserving of her skyrocketing career, considering the conflict of interest involved. She proved to be one of the Empire's most capable admirals. It was her tactical brilliance, rather than her youth, that attracted Tarkin's notice of her in the first place. Dalla's promotion was given along with a new assignment. She assumed command of four Star Destroyers and was tasked with maintaining the security and secrecy of the Maw Research Center. Tarkin needed a place far from prying eyes to bring his doctrine to reality. In the outer rim lies the Ma Nebula, a cloud of violet-colored gas encompassing most of the Kessel Sector. At the heart of the nebula is the Ma Cluster, a cluster of black holes that make that portion of space virtually suicidal to fly near. The mass of the black holes distorts space to such a degree that safe navigation is nearly impossible. While black holes are natural phenomena, they are not known to cluster in this manner anywhere else in the galaxy. Any spacer unlucky enough to fly close to the maw or any black hole is trapped when their ship's thrusters cannot overcome the inexorable pull of gravity, and spaghettification is their ultimate doom. Every atom is stretched and compressed into a long, thin line as they approach the event horizon, the point of no return from which even light cannot escape. The Death Stars were both designed in part at the Ma installation, as well as the World Devastators and the Sun Crusher. The safe routes through the Ma were a closely guarded secret, and few people aside from Admiral Dalla and herself had the ability to navigate through them. One of Tarkin's standing orders to Dalla was to maintain a total communications blackout between the Ma installation and the rest of the galaxy, unless he contacted them. This blackout was ongoing when Tarkin was killed, so Admiral Dalla's forces remained hidden and ignorant of galactic events until 11 ABY. A chance encounter and prolonged torture session with a spacer and Jedi apprentice, revealed to the Admiral what had happened during the last decade. She realized that Tarkin's orders were now obsolete, and she began to act autonomously. The empire she returned to was in shambles, so she set about repairing it. First by killing 13 Imperial warlords and uniting their holdings, effectively ending the civil war that had resumed after Palpatine Reborn's defeat, and she declared herself supreme commander of the Galactic Empire. After failing to defeat the New Republic forces at Yavin, Dalla retired and promoted Admiral Pelion to supreme commander. Dalla then started a family, but reappeared on the astro-political stage several times over the next three decades, and at one point even became chief of state of the Galactic Alliance. Once supreme commander, Peleon took Imperial remnants from the Deep Core and united with holdovers in the mid and outer rims with a new capital at the planet Orinda, 
The official name for the forces united under Peleon was the True Empire, though as with its previous iterations, it was known colloquially as the Empire or the Remnant. In contrast to the Galactic Empire, the Imperial Remnant allowed both women and aliens to hold any rank within the hierarchy. Natasi Dalla was an integral part of an officially female-friendly empire, insisting personally on some of these reforms. Newest Order on the Block Thanks to Dalla's unification efforts, the empire was stable, though still only a shadow of its former self. If anyone could restore the empire... Pelion appeared to be the one. Voren Na'al. Admiral Pelion continued to serve the Empire as he always had, competently, confidently, and loyally. He never played politics, considering himself a Navy man above all else, and committed to the ideals of the New Order rather than personal power or glory. After Palpatine's final death, the Council of Moffs ruled the Empire. However, the Supreme Commander though technically subordinate to the Council, carried out many of the executive duties of the Empire, particularly the command of its armed forces. The relationship between the Council of Moffs and the Supreme Commander is somewhat analogous to the relationship between the Galactic Senate and the Supreme Chancellor. During his reign as Supreme Commander, Pelion had severe disagreements with the Council of Moffs, and often considered conferring with them a mere formality. He knew that the real power in the Empire lay in the control of its military, and he could leverage the armed forces' loyalty to control the Empire absolutely, if need be. This tension came to a head in 17 ABY, when Pelion refused to follow any more of the Council's directives following a disastrous attempt to topple the New Republic. In 19 ABY, New Republic Chief of State Ponk Gavrison and Imperial Remnant Supreme Commander Gilad Pelion met aboard the Chimera, in orbit above the new imperial capital, Bastion. Here they signed the Bastion Accords, which finally ended the Galactic Civil War. The treaty simply called for a ceasefire and free trade between both galactic states. No more would the New Republic or the Imperial Remnant engage in military actions against one another, and all territorial boundaries would remain as they were. The treaty also provided an option for worlds to choose to become part of either the Empire or Republic independently, regardless of their location astrographically or their historical political affiliation. Victory without war. If we're destroyed, if we all die, the concepts and ideals of the new order will die with us. But if we surrender, we can keep those ideals alive. Then if and when the New Republic self-destructs, we'll be positioned to rise again. Gilad Pelion Pelion reformed the political processes of the Empire in order to prevent the Moths from becoming megalomaniac warlords again. Although officially at peace with the Republic, under Pelion's rule, the Empire conducted a considerable amount of espionage in the Republic and other galactic states. When the Yuuzhan Vong invaded the galaxy in 25 ABY, the Empire sat most of the conflict out. Towards the end, 
imperial forces allied with the Republic and the rest of the galaxy. The Galactic Federation of Free Alliances thus formed, uniting the Empire and the Republic under one banner. The Federation's combined forces finally defeated the Yuzhan Vong in 29 ABY, a battle at Coruscant. Pelion retired following the war, though he reactivated in 36 ABY after Supreme Commander Sov was killed. He remained on active duty through several more conflicts, was deposed, and regained the Supreme Commander position until his death at the Battle of Fondor in 41 ABY. Eventually, the Empire turned its logistical and industrial capabilities towards philanthropic efforts, providing aid to the countless worlds ravaged by the wars of the previous decades. They began to effectively reconquer systems long lost to the Republic through peaceful tactics. Once installed as the new Supreme Commander, Jagged Fell would call his strategy victory without war, and believed that he could restore the ideals and territory of the New Order without bloodshed. Supreme Commander Fell eventually became Emperor Fell, and the remnant was rebranded as the Fell Empire. Fell's dynasty reigned for approximately a century but did not do so with the same kind of brutality as Darth Sidious employed to build the first galactic empire. In the court of popular opinion, the Fell Empire was considered to be fairly benevolent. It remained stable until Darth Krait's coup in 130 ABY, at which point it once again fragmented. Now, a word from our sponsors. Try Mandoade energy drinks. Feel invincible like a suit of Beskar armor. Yeah! Mandoade fuels your jetpack. Mandoade does not give you flying abilities. Mandoade does not make you invulnerable. Do not drink Mandoade if you are pregnant or have heart conditions. Do not drink more than one can of Mandoade per lunar cycle. Consult your doctor if accelerated heart rate and sweating lasts for more than one rotation. Welcome, everybody, again to the Millennial Falcon. Uh, this is Christian. I'm Sam. This is Jordan. And uh, we're back to talk about the Imperial Remnant. Yeah, uh, make the galaxy great again. <laughs> some, some might say that. <laughs> um, just before we get 
too much into it. I just want to go back a little bit into the episode. We kind of jumped ahead timeline wise and we're discussing events that we will cover in future episodes regarding things like the uh, reformed Galactic Republic and their future alliances with the remnants of the Empire. Yeah, the, the whole Galactic Alliance period is like, it's very confusing <laughs> because a whole bunch of states sort of uh, in primatology, we call it fission fusion uh, social groups where the, all these different states come together and then break apart and come together again. Yeah. So it's really hard to track like who's on whose side and what's at what point in history we yeah. are at. But I just wanted to touch on that real quick before we delved too deep into the Imperial remnant specifically, yeah. just to give our listeners who may not have been exposed to this era of legends. Cause this is, now we're going way beyond the movies yeah, into and, the future. And I, I yeah. sort of, gl- we glossed over the whole like Dark Nest trilogy as well, which is sort of another one of the main Star Wars storylines that like continues the sort of Skywalker saga. Yeah, absolutely. And we will, uh, just as a primer, we will in the future delve more deeply into it. But this, again, was more focused on the remnant. Yeah. So anyways, on that note... Um, this period of imperial history is a lot like Rome after it became an empire. Interestingly, Jagged Fell, son of Suntor Fell, has a similar biography. Sorry, that father of, of... Oh, yeah. No. No. Yes. <laughs> See? They're, they're all, it's all so confusing. <laughs> yes, it and, and it's also interesting that although it's very much like um, the Roman Empire, it's also sort of like the mirror image of it because once Rome became an empire, then its leadership became really unstable but then in with the galactic empire it's like well it was already an empire but it was ostensibly had some sort of democratic processes going on and didn't have a supreme leader but then once they got rid of that and just made it the fell empire then it became the most stable it had ever been right when it had an absolute and in the most technical definition of the term in like the greek version when it had a tyrant ruling it, ruling over it, then it was. Wasn't they, it more like a soft tyrant or yeah, soft dictator? Yeah, precisely. A benevolent dictator, maybe a platonic dictator. <laughs> I prefer soft dictator, but <laughs> yeah. no, he's hard. But you also see like things like how the empire, I guess, for lack of a better word, becomes more progressive over time. Yeah, to the point. Natasi Dalla uh, instituted <laughs> affirmative action. She actually did. She made uh, uh, Gilad Pelion institute a rule that said half the moths had to be female. There's, there's no. I don't know if if he like went through with it. I, yeah, I can't remember it. Other than Moff Tavira, who's not really even a moth because she's a 16 year old girl, <laughs> which we'll get. Who into just started wearing the uniform? Yeah, it is kind of weird though. It's it's almost like saying. Man, what if Hitler had instituted uh, <laughs> uh, uh, like a fifty-fifty rule or something? Of, <laughs> he was a vegetarian. Yeah, so I'll leave that there. There, he there was animals. There was actually a woman who worked at as a guard at Auschwitz or something who was called the uh, the B word of Buchenwald. <laughs> Sorry, not Auschwitz, but uh, she was Buchenwald. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, women could could. I don't think the Nazis would have been much better with a bunch of women at, at the helm based on her behavior, at least. Ultimately, it's ideology. Yeah, it's. yeah. Um, anyways, all that aside. So, Suntir Fell, uh, Jagged Fell's dad, he eventually became 
a uh, rogue, a member of Rogue Squadron. But before that, he was a, a really distinguished TIE fighter pilot. And uh, the Rogue Squadron comic series, by the way, I highly recommend it. It's pretty good. Uh, and the games. And the games. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very 90s. It's got some roided out uh, stormtroopers who are too buff for their breastplates. <laughs> which is their fun. muscles double, are just as effective, really, as <laughs> yeah, stormtroopers. Exactly. They've armor. got so much muscles <laughs> that they don't need blast armor anymore. But anyway, Suntir fell. Uh, so normally, the life expectancy of TIE fighter pilots you find out through the Rogue Squadron comics is like very low. It's like one tour of duty for a year and then you get out immediately. Nobody signs up for a second tour. Suntir Fell signed up for tour after tour of duty during the Galactic Civil War as a TIE fighter. So he was a, a lot like uh, a Julius Caesar type character and so was Jagged Fell. He was also a, a TIE pilot eventually and flew missions and stuff and was actually like leading troops into so battle. You said soon to fell was part of rogue squad. Yeah. He eventually became part of rogue squad. What would that him. have been like hypothetically that kind of like influence is what made jagged more of a benevolent ruler. Yeah. That's, I think that's, he, that's possible. Yeah. He picks up the ideology yeah, yeah. of the rebellion and, and what, and sort of reforms the, the empire a little bit to be a little, yeah. Yeah. And, and Sunter is, is certainly like a, a very noble character in rogues in rogue squadron. He's like a, he's a good guy. So are the, like the entire fell empire is depicted in a very po- yeah. positive light. Even kind of interesting. It's an interesting in thought experiment. Yeah. Like. yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how that the empire almost as a, as a character has like an arc throughout the star Wars story. Yeah. And it, it changes kind of like Darth Vader, if you will. Yeah. If you will, it like has its Darth Vader is just a, that's uh, what I'm looking for, an, an analogy for the <laughs> Empire as a whole. Exactly. Um, just on a quick note that you mentioned there about TIE fighters, probably better reserved for a TIE fighter episode. But um, TIE pilots probably had really short life expectancies. Yeah. Not so much because they were poor pilots. No. It's a technology of the TIE fighter that is meant to be mass produced and not, doesn't have no, good shielding. Hardly any shielding. Yeah. So. It, it's a dangerous job, regardless regardless of who's actually in this in the seat. I don't know. It it seems like ties might be hard to pilot as well. Like, like you sure have to, you have to be a really good pilot to yeah, to to fly a tie fighter. So maybe, but I do wonder if tie fighters can have abilities that uh, regular fighting. Yeah, at, at least from the Just Rogue Squadron ergo, video the, game. They're no, faster than X-Wings yeah, and stuff. Yeah, like they're they're, there's just a trade-off. Er, like the ergonomics of it. But yeah, it, they look very vulnerable, but like the sort of the ergonomics and the, the way it can move. And they always have Star Destroyer support as well. Yeah, right? They're not so. meant to be. Yeah, one, it's a class of fighter you're dealing with. Two, it's maybe efficiency of like how mass produced they are. Like you look at tanks in World War II, like we build Shermans, we can get better bang for your buck by deploying more instead of one overproduced tank like a tiger or something like that yeah so yeah there, there's there's always a give and take with that yeah just no to... torpedoes no hyperdrives yeah also fun fact just uh on that note too world war one uh fighter pilots when airplanes were first instituted had really short lifespans yeah. too <laughs> so i imagine if that two months or yeah, something. yeah super risky Ridiculous. risky job but it also came with a lot of like um credit you know like you were a lot of prestige yeah right? exactly because yeah. you're taking such a high-risk job the red baron and the, yeah yeah the sop with camel was that the other man guy? It, sorry just a side note it is crazy to me that like 
in World War One, the planes that they were using. It was like planes had Just human flight was invented like <laughs> ten years before that. Well, <laughs> some might say that like war creates. Uh, I know, yeah, <laughs> huge leaps in technology. I mean, yeah. tanks also were first invented in World War One. Hey, even in Star Wars, it's yeah. it's sort of the same thing. The, like, yeah, the it, impetus for innovation. Yeah, like the Emperor is kind of the biggest innovator, like Palpatine, because. Of all these crazy weapons he tries to build, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> Although he's, I, he's actually he's actually in tech. He's the, he's, he's, he's the, a tech giant. Yeah. <laughs> Although uh, as as we sort of got into, he keeps going back to that same super weapon well, and oh, yeah. just yeah. keeps getting <laughs> screwed by it. Like he, I think it was his fifth attempt at like deploying super weapons to yeah. destroy the rebels. <laughs> it's like, aren't you supposed to be an evil Machiavellian genius? <laughs> So my fan theory is that him possessing the clones caused some kind of brain damage <laughs> with each iteration. Or just the fact that the clones were teenagers. Like yeah. even the power of the dark side could not overcome like testosterone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I actually had that thought when I read Dark Empire as well. As uh, like 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 is he just being Well, first of all, the the drawing of the of Palpatine's clone does not look like a 15 year old but that's, no it doesn't <laughs> that's it an aside. 15. yeah he is very fit I, yeah it wasn't it wasn't until like they actually say that he's 50 i'm like what more like a 25 year old mr olympia yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. no but even just like his like uh uh just his behavior and his, his, his overall character but just his size like he's the size of a full-grown man you know he's not palpatine's pretty pretty jacked man. <laughs> yeah he's Anyways, a big boy but also also like the star wars like does need to put to rest the planet busting technology. <laughs> Two things it needs to put to rest. One, resurrecting Palpatine. Because yeah. that is something that they did lift. Yeah. We have yeah. to we have to full disclosure, as much as I hate Disney, they did lift that arc from Yeah. Uh, from, from Dark Empire. Dark Empire. Yeah. Although I think Dark Empire did it in a more interesting way. Sure. Yeah. Because they uh they, they put him in a young body, right? So you get to see oh, what, yeah, yeah, what he was sure. like as a young man rather than just repeating yeah exactly yeah at least beat get a, for beat. Uh, you yeah. get a different look at at Palpatine. and the other thing is a mass uh destroying super weapon yeah. <laughs> shake, yeah. which is repeated even in the yeah, disney it, canon yeah as well but it's repeated in legends as well like even the sun crusher if yeah. you remember but that. again at least they're different they're unique yeah, they're yeah. Different they, it's all like a different spin on the same thing but the it, sun crusher is is a cool one and so are the world cool. the world, world devastators yeah. are cool yeah. as well i yeah i i think the, the world devastators are cool but again it's it's just planet, it goes back planet. to planet. Planet. I think, yeah. palpatine especially being behind them is also the part that smacks May, to me of just lazy writing yeah, yeah. <laughs> or brain but damage on palpatine's part is it lazy or is it just be, trying to be consistent with the character i don't know i think it's lazy <laughs> but but on that same token and kind of what we're talking about with uh imperial remnant there's a lot of other imperial heroes that step up to the plate like natasi dalla um Pe- uh gillian kirkanos yeah we we didn't cover him as much as I wanted because Crimson Empire is also a really great comic series that everybody should go out and read. And um, Kirkanos is just this awesome butt-kicking uh, former royal guard who's got like an awesome double-bladed sword, which I didn't realize that that technology uh, was first brought in in Crimson Empire like in the 90s. And it reappeared again in Knights of the Old Republic. I thought the double-bladed swords were a, a KOTOR original, but it's cool that oh, they no, yeah. that they oh, pulled no, that yeah. from yeah. from earlier Legends material. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously, everyone's fan favorite Thrawn, 
who yeah. who was so popular that Disney even resurrected him <laughs> yeah. into their yeah, own yeah, universe yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, they're they're like Kotor. Like actually, <laughs> the more we do this podcast, the more I realize it's not that original. <laughs> <laughs> no. I hate to say this quote, but it rhymes. Like they, <laughs> they obviously are. I like how they unify the galaxy. They obviously yeah, the yeah. the authors are looking at what's already been written yeah. and they're trying to put it together. Yeah, I I think I think the Kreia thing in Kotor two was a lot more unique, but like the the kind of the rest of it was. See, it feels very similar. Um, but but even like battle meditation i didn't i thought that was just like a unique kotor thing but no, it, I, I didn't realize it had oh, okay the, before, the, yeah. tales of the jedi yeah the early 90s yeah so again Anyways, I, I like a, that aspect, a side but. note and uh so i don't even want to speaking of palpatine's clones i don't even want to get into everybody's clones because pretty much every character i mentioned by name in this uh episode has multiple clones. Dala has clones. Isard has clones. Thrawn maybe has clones. I mean, if the technology <laughs> exists, why wouldn't you use it? That's all I'm going to yeah, say. I suppose. If I had the ability to clone myself, I'd do it. I mean, there was a whole clone army. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so, Grand Moff Tarkin <laughs> and Moff Tavira, both... Uh, a little jailbait there yeah. going on. It's not clear how old exactly Dalla was when Tarkin and him started their thing, but, but it did a, mention that she was a teenager. So. And there's a significant age difference. But the, yeah, the obviously. Age, and not only the age difference, because, yeah, he would have been like 70 or something, <laughs> but uh, just like the power imbalance as a professional military man, that's really inappropriate. <laughs> like you shouldn't be dating sleep, your sleeping with your subordinates. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Tarkin was married. Not that Imperials necessarily have a uh, yeah long a strong moral code per se, but uh, and Leonia Tavira also introduced in Rogue Squadron. She's she's a very fun character. She just literally wears her husband's oversized moth <laughs> uniform, and all the stormtroopers just go along with her. <laughs> they're they're psycho indoctrinated than a sixteen-year-old girl, I guess. <laughs> They're psycho indoctrinated to follow the uniform. Yeah, Doesn't matter just, who's wearing it. They, they just, just see like, the little badges on yeah. her <laughs> chest. And, well, she's in charge now. <laughs> she got the hat. <laughs> and uh, Dala generally, uh, Han Solo says, like, uh, she has no ambition. She just wants to break things. <laughs> like, she's a pretty brutal character. She orders lots of executions and she tortures Han Solo and Kip Duran for an extended period of time. As she operated by the Tarkin doctrine, basically sort of trying to essentially terrorize the entire galaxy into submission, again. which is par for the course for. Uh, which, but but at not least Pelion though Pelion doesn't really seem to have done that, other than following the, the sort of Nazi excuse of just following <laughs> orders. But he, on his own, he he wasn't really like a mustache twirling bad guy. Yeah, although he he's definitely more fan- sympathetic. Although he did have a fantastic mustache, <laughs> he never twirled it. Um, but at least Dala was all about equality. So. <laughs> <laughs> and her, her one thing by any means here. necessary, yeah. of course. And she was elected by there democratic vote as the chief of state of the Galactic Alliance at one point. There you go. Despite all of her uh, evil doings, she also lives like a long time. Yeah, like, she, she does. She doesn't get killed off early like some kind of uh, traditional villain. She she carries carries it out to the end. And I, I really liked uh, the scene sort of near her first emergence from the Maw 
her and Gilad Pelion unite all the like the biggest name Imperial warlords and they sort of all get together in a conference room and have a big meeting about sort of what to do about the empire going forward and none of these megalomaniacal warlords can come to an agreement and so at a certain point uh, I imagine Dalla is just you know frustrated after this interminable meeting between co-workers who just cannot get along and she puts on her gas mask and so does Admiral Pelion and they fill the room with toxic gas and kill all of the warlords and I'm like that is a I think anybody who's been in uh, a lot <laughs> of staff meeting. any corporate <laughs> meetings has had that exact fantasy <laughs> and uh, it works so gas your boss everybody. Um, so there's a little bit more Milky Way galaxy continuity. I think uh, all of Dallas star destroyers are named after Greek monsters. There's like <laughs> the Gorgon and the uh, Chimera. And, oh yeah, Chimera's Pelions. I can't. Remember. But it's still in the same era. I can't remember what all of hers are, but they're all named after Greek monsters. So I think uh, our galaxy and the galaxy far, far away might not be that far after all. <laughs> not that far. Is there is there any uh, fan, fan theories about like the connection between the Milky Way and the Star Wars galaxy? Because it is a long time a long time ago in a galaxy far far yeah, it's away. Yeah, so kind of hypothetically, in that statement. Yeah, yeah. hypothetically, it's in our universe. Other, other than like a non-canon one-off where Han Solo goes to to Earth and oh, goes okay. back in time. No, but <laughs> you can't establish a timeline going forward where we're. Right now we're at like 400 ABY or something. If if we maybe maybe the, Gre- the chronology maybe in Star Wars the Greek gods were just imperial <laughs> <laughs> destroyers. That, that in Indiana Jones, <laughs> Cthulhu and R two appear in one of the hieroglyphs. On that's the, right. On yeah, the that's right. So I, I like where this is going. Yeah, it's all coming together. I'm into it. Um, another thing, Carnor Jax is his force ability is like barely touched on in the comic run when he fights uh Kirkanos, he like force throws a rock at him and it, and that's pretty much it and that's pretty <laughs> much it yet he was trained by uh Sith Lady Lumia who's like quite powerful so i think this is more of of our rhyming Star Wars rhyming scheme of having really bad teachers in Star Wars. <laughs> As my contention, both Obi-Wan and Luke and Yoda are all terrible teachers because all of their students go like, rogue. Go rogue <laughs> and like destroy and murder millions of people. <laughs> and and Luke Skywalker is actually the worst cuz like he has several students <laughs> go of, rogue. Of his go rogue in both legends and, and in canon. <laughs> Is terrible teaching carries Pervades across universes. dimensions. Uh, another thing is the destruction of Bish. Bis came from R two D two. He hacked into the Eclipse Star Destroyer's uh, nav computer, which then dis- uh, crashed into the Galaxy Gun, caused the Galaxy Gun to blow up an entire planet. So is R two D two a war criminal? <laughs> You have to take it to just, the uh, just a, just a thought, maybe. <laughs> I think it was inadvertent, but you do have to consider the uh, ramifications of accidentally wiping out a planet. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> so, uh, with that, we're coming up on the unknown regions. Uh, we gotta drop out of hyperspace, recalibrate our nav computer. So, may the forks be with you.
Thanks for flying with us. Jordan here. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lords podcast. Star Lords is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lords Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out with a DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lores Podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fictions, and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon, so if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server, head on over to patreon.com forward slash starlores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally... Make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show.